Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Tuesday, September 12th. Football is finally back, guys. Uh, we're going to go through all the games, kind of a rapid style, uh, rap- rapid file, rapid file, uh, fire style, excuse me. Going to start with the first game I have here, Battle for Ohio, Bengals versus the Browns. Really bad game for Joe Burrow. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this to start off the start of the show, guys. Uh, are we concerned about this opener by Joe Burrow, or is this kind of more of a mirror of how he started last year? Remember last year he missed a lot of, a lot of training camp, just like he missed a lot of training camp this year because of his uh, foot injury that he had. Uh Last year, first game, 2022 against the Steelers, he had four interceptions and ultimately a loss in that overtime game against Pittsburgh. What are your guys' thoughts on this opener for Joe Burrow after missing some uh, uh, training camp this time around? Are you guys concerned or do you think he'll he'll bounce back pretty fast here? I think he bounces back pretty fast. Uh, That was a tough opener for Burrow, but I think he will be fine. He had a calf injury this time around. And for, for the Cleveland Browns, they got to be proud of themselves. I think they, they really needed to win this game and really needed to have and really need to have a good season here with Deshaun Watson making $230 million guaranteed and the team they got around him. I kind of I saw this coming. I saw this as an upset pick, as a trap game for the Bengals. I didn't think they were fully ready to play it. But the Browns. They came out and they dominated this game and they won it 24 to 3. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. Is I just think, you know, what happened last year, it's pretty much the same thing. The Burrow and the starters really didn't play all preseason. They struggled to start the year. Remember, I think at one point they were 3 and 4 or something along those lines and they ended up in the AFC Championship game. So I think they're going to be just fine. I think this is more about the Browns. You look at their defense, uh, Miles Garrett, that defensive line really got after it. And there's just some teams that are bad matchups. You know, the Browns are just a bad matchup for the Bengals. Uh, they've won five of the last seven times they've played, including six now consecutive at home. So I don't really look at it as more of Bengals' concern. I think the Browns showed that they might be a contender as far as they're going to be a tough out this year in the AFC. I think the Bengals will be fine long run. Yeah, uh, Browns, if you remember last year, had really bad luck with Brownie the Elf on the field as well. Finally got a game, a home game win. I know, uh, I know, I don't know the exact record the Browns had last year, but I know they had a lot of tough games, tough home games last year when Brownie the Elf was uh, the centerpiece on their field. Uh, Honor Jim Brown the whole game uh, uh, yesterday, uh, the passing of Jim Brown, as we all know, stadium named after him for a long, long time before going to Paycor. Uh, so good win for the Browns uh, in honor of him. Some other stats. I mean, you know, we all know J- Joe Burrow, bad game, like we already said. Career worst, 82 yards, uh, 14 for 31. Uh, Deshaun Watson, though, like you said, Justin, 154 yards passing with a running TD himself. Uh, yeah, so good game for the Browns overall. Nick Chubb, 106 yards, 18 carries. Um, you know, J- Jamar Chase calling the you know calling the uh, Browns elves earlier in the week. Got some fire for the Browns for this game after that, and they came out with a response. Let's move on, though. 49ers, Steelers. I got one question before we go into a little bit more of a detail. Are the Steelers this bad or are the 49ers this good? What are your guys' thoughts on this? 
I lean more good 49ers. The Steelers, I don't think, are really a playoff contender. I think that's a team with a really good defense, but I think in an AFC that's loaded with great quarterbacks, I don't think the Steelers have that. So I think they're kind of a middle-of-the-pack team in the AFC. San Francisco, along with Dallas, the two most dominant teams in Week 1. And you look at the 49ers, the way Brock Purdy played, if they can get that kind of showing out of him on a week-in, week-out basis, this team can beat anybody in the league. They don't need Purdy to be spectacular. They just need him to be consistent because the running game with Christian McCaffrey and that great defense with newly signed Nick Bosa and a dominant defensive line, that, that's going to win them most of their games. If Purdy plays well and just is kind of consistent, San Francisco could beat anybody in the league. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk was also a, a big name out there. I think he was a big reason to – 49ers won, especially, you know, contributing a lot on offense, obviously. Eight receptions, 129 yards, 129 yards, excuse me, two touchdowns. You know, you already mentioned Christian McCafferty, Zach. Uh, defense, as always, was it le- as the case was last year, too. 49ers defense was elite. Held the Steelers to just one TD, their only score in the entire game. Um, Steelers did not pick up a first down until two minutes warning until the two minute warning of the first half. So Steelers did not even have a first down until close to halftime in this game. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think the Steelers play the Bengals next game. If I'm not mistaken, the Browns, I knew, I knew it was a divisional opponent. Yeah. So, Hey, it'll be a big, I think it's a good testament for both the Browns and the Steelers. The Steelers need to kind of come back, show people that this game, was a kind of a fluke. They're not as bad as they played uh, yesterday, and the Browns need to kind of show up and you know show the people that this also was not a fluke and that they actually are a pretty good team too. So I think that Monday night game, especially after the results this week, will be a, will be a really you know good game to watch, a must watch. Let's move on. Atlanta, uh, Atlanta. B. John Robertson, uh, ten carries, fifty six yards, caught all six of his targets for twenty seven yards and his one touchdown. Uh, led the Falcons in receptions. What do you guys think about this debut for uh, B. John Robinson? B. John Robinson's my pick for offensive rookie of the year, and he was my first round pick on my fantasy team, Bed Bath and Bijan. So already off to a pretty good start. Um, I, I think he's a guy that you look at this Falcons offense. The only concern I have about Arthur Smith is he is very insistent for whatever reason about getting the ball to Tyler Algier when he has Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and B. John Robinson on his roster. He's not prioritizing getting the ball to the right guys. But they were able to win this game because Bijan had a big day because Desmond Ritter actually looked comfortable. And you look at the Panthers, Bryce Young threw two interceptions, but rookie quarterback, nothing to really take out of that as far as a negative standpoint. The Falcons, I think, are probably the closest team to the Saints in the NFC South. I think those are the two teams that will be competing for that division title all year long. But Bijan Robinson, as we saw, clearly ready to go from day one. Yeah, his his one receiving touchdown was the first time a running back had a receiving touchdown for the Falcons since Bubba Bean did it back in 1976. <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's pretty that was a crazy stat that I that I saw. Played on 31 percent or not 31 percent? Excuse me, 31 total snaps on Sunday. Bijan Robinson did, and you mentioned uh, Tyler Tyler Ajir, uh Zach. He did have two touchdowns, and he's actually really really good on third yeah. down conversions too. Uh, I, I agree. B. John Robinson is definitely going to be the guy to watch over the next, you know, coming years for the Falcons. But I think uh, uh, Tyler Algier definitely could be the third down back for the Falcons because he's so efficient and just such a beast on getting those first downs on those third down conversions for the Falcons. All right. Well, let's move on to the Colts and Jaguars. Uh, my biggest thing I have for this game, 
offensive line for the Jaguars looked really, really poor in this game, really, really struggled. And Anthony Richardson had a good game for a rookie. I think he might have had one of the best uh, rookie performances uh, of the day. I, I know C.J. Stroud played pretty good, too, and uh, we'll get to him. But what are you guys' overall thoughts on this game mm-hmm. uh, off the bat? Yeah, I think when you look at uh, Anthony Richardson, I thought he was pretty impressive for a first-game starting quarterback. Had a rushing touchdown, passing touchdown, had only one turnover, did a good job taking care of the ball. You know, a lot of his throws were kind of those read option, quick throws, but he made very good decisions with the football. And I think the Colts are going to be a pesky team this year. I have no expectation that my team's actually going to be a playoff contender or anything like that. But the entire basis of success, from my perspective, is if Anthony Richardson's really good. So far, so good after game one. The Jaguars, their offensive line was not great. Fourth down play calling was a little questionable, but good teams figure out ways to win games when they don't play well. Trevor Lawrence had three touchdown passes, had a spectacular touchdown pass to Zay Jones. Calvin Ridley right away making a huge impact for this team. That was the one thing they really didn't have last year was a game-breaking receiver. They do have one now with Calvin Ridley. Travis Etienne's a fantastic back. The Jaguars are going to be a popular pick, certainly to win the AFC South and maybe to make a push for the playoffs. They've got a chance to really make a statement this upcoming week because they get Kansas City at home. That's going to be a big game in week two. But the Jaguars won a game that they probably got outplayed. But if you're a Colts fan, Anthony Richardson looking good in his first start, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, Shane Shane Steichen, uh, also really conservative with Anthony Richardson. I think he averaged only like six six yards per, uh, per attempt. Uh, really minimum uh, deep balls for Richardson, not really aggressive play whatsoever on him. And I, I would love to see him be more aggressive next year or next week because uh, they'll definitely need it against the Chiefs, like you said, Zach. Uh, just his stats overall, 24, 24 for 37, 223 yards. Uh, like we already said, threw for a touchdown, ran for a touchdown, pretty much had it all. But like I said, next week he's definitely going to have to be more aggressive uh, to have any chance against the Chiefs. I'm looking up the line, looking up the line now for that game next week. I think if I can see it. I don't know. I don't even know where it is, but I, I don't know. Probably going to be a, probably at least a touchdown for the Chiefs coming off a loss. I would even say that might be like six and a half, seven and a half of a line. Uh, we'll see what the, uh, what the Colts can do, though. Um, Eagles versus, uh, versus the Patriots. Uh, jumped off to a... Early 16-0 lead uh, behind Darius' slay pick six and uh, Ezekiel's fumble. Um, you know, yeah, Zeke's fumble. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on this game? Uh, was it a pretty bad showing for the Eagles? I mean, they barely beat the Patriots, which are not really considered to be a good team this year. I might push back a little about that. I think the Patriots are a pesky team, and I think in a lot of other divisions, they might be able to win that division. It's just... They are in a division with the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills, and they're a little bit short at quarterback, although Mac Jones played very well. Yesterday actually outplayed Jalen Hurts, and when you're in the NFL, there's no such thing as a bad win. So the Eagles didn't play their best game, still managed to get a win. Their defense played well, but that's not great if you're spotted a 16-0 lead on turnovers, and you really didn't do much after that, but you you win – it, you don't apologize for it. Yeah, and my biggest takeaway too is last year the Eagles were so good on in second uh, in the second quarter, and uh, last you know yesterday they really were not that team that they or Sunday excuse me they were not really that team that we were used to seeing last year, especially in the, like I said the second quarter. Uh, like I said, the first I think it was the first two drives actually by the Patriots were the uh, you know inter, uh, turnovers by them, and I think the four the four. Um, 
drives by the Eagle, excuse me, after those two turnovers. Uh, they didn't even reach the end zone. I think they ended up kicking four field goals. That uh, came after like Belichick said, didn't punt yeah, on fourth and mm-hmm. 17 for some um, reason when he had all But like you said, Zach, uh, I think either. Mac Jones, arguably, well, not even arguably by the numbers, he actually did play better than Jalen Hurts. 35 for 54, 316 yards, three touchdowns, and only one interception. Um, Hurts also had a, a not interception, but he did cause a turnover with a fumble. He only went for 22 for 33, 170 yards, and only one TD. So, yeah, Mac Jones, not many people would expect him to be showing up better than Jalen Hurts, especially uh, after the Super Bowl one, Super Bowl run that they had last year and how he played last year. But, eh, good for uh, Mac Jones, and uh, let's see if he can do it again next week. My only other takeaway from this game, uh, Jalen Carter definitely showed flashes, uh, earned a sack in a pivotal closing moments of the game. And Tom Brady, honored at halftime, honored throughout really the whole game. And my only last question for this game is, does that mean Tom Brady is officially retired? Honored honored by the team. I mean, I feel like once you get honored by your team, especially at a home, you know, the first home game, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's hard to come back after that, but I don't think he's coming back. And uh, we'll, we'll, I guess time will tell. We'll, we'll see with that. Gone now, Chargers, Dolphins. Uh, Absolute track race of a game, blow uh, highest scoring game by far uh, in week one. I mean, really, week one was a pretty low scoring affair. I mean, for the most part, uh, Tyreek Hill unguardable. I mean, simply unguardable. Eleven receptions, two fifteen yards, two touchdowns. Uh, two hundred and fifteen yards is actually the third best total in week one in league history. <laughs> um, what else do you guys have from this game? What other what other takeaways uh, do you guys have? We'll get the two on a second. But anything else you guys want to really bring out to this game? Yeah, who would have thought that the Dolphins would have won this game despite getting that rush two hundred thirty four to seventy and losing the turnover margin two to nothing? San Di- or the Los Angeles, I still say San Diego Chargers for whatever reason. Plus, the Chargers didn't turn the ball over at all in this game. But Justin Herbert, surprising a little bit. Not a big passing game out of him. Only 228 yards, but Austin Eckler had 117 yards. Joshua Kelly had 91 yards. But the difference in this game was the speed of the Miami Dolphins with Tua thrown for 466. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill are two guys that should be on the 4 by 100 relay team. They're that quick. Tyreek Hill's basically a cheat code. And the Dolphins showed that, I don't know that this team can win the AFC, but I do know that they can play with anybody. And I know that they can beat Kansas City or the Jets or the Bills, whoever, in a one-game scenario, if they get in the playoffs and if Tua stays healthy, because that's obviously the biggest thing. If Tua stays healthy, the Dolphins are good enough to play with anybody. And this is a kind of win that's going to go a long way when you've got a banged-up defense, you know, with Jalen Ramsey out for a little bit. They were able to get one against another team that they may be fighting for, potentially down the road, to get one of those wild-card spots. Yeah, Tua, 28 for 45, 466 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. He's continuing his streak from last year. Uh, I don't know if he's actually continuing it from last year, but the Dolphins, I know, were undefeated when he played, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if that, I don't know if he actually lost a game um, when he did. I know he had like a nine-game win streak when he was playing with the Dolphins last year, and I, and I know when he got hurt, that's when they started losing, but I'm not really sure if that streak continues with this game. But hey, that's a snow game, and you know we're not really used to playing in that. And that's, but my point is, just he's just continuing to just dominate with the with the Dolphins, and I think people kind of forgot just how well the Dolphins were last year when he was playing, and he just continued that on Sunday. 
Uh, Miami, nine plays of at least 21 yards. Uh, definitely we're having some deep balls, uh, really aggressive play calling. Uh, on the other side of the ball, though, uh, Chargers had a really, really good ground game. Um, we can kind of see how uh, they're going to really play the rest of the year here. Charger, Chargers rushed for 234 yards with three rushing touchdowns. This is the fourth fourth time since the team moved to Los Angeles in 2017 that it exceeded 200 yards on the ground. Eckler, Eckler himself had 117 yards and a touchdown, and Joshua Kelly had 91 yards and a score as well. Um, Justin Herbert, though, played average, but you can kind of make the argument that he didn't really need to play. He didn't need to play that well if the rushing game was as good as it was. Um, just what are you guys' thoughts on Justin Herbert's play overall? I mean, him, just like Joe Burrow, obviously just got the contract over the offseason and didn't really have the strongest game, but at least in this case uh, for the Chargers, they didn't really need to because the rushing game was so strong. What are your thoughts on Justin Herbert's play? Well, they needed to because they lost the game. I mean, Justin Herbert had a chance at the end to go down and get his team in field goal range, and it didn't happen, but I'm not going to worry too much about it. Again, didn't play a ton in preseason. You always see that guys that don't play in preseason or play limited in preseason, typically the first week or two, they're a little bit off, and then they get themselves settled in. I bet Justin Herbert will do that. Yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of telling on how Kellen Moore's offense will look like this season, though. A lot of rushing with the Chargers. You can expect a lot of ground ground attack with the Chargers, and kind of surprising just considering that they did just pay Justin Herbert as much uh, as they did. But, you know, kind of like with uh, Richardson, with the Colts, obviously Justin Herbert's not a rookie, but might have just wanted to kind of have a more lackadaisical uh, play calling scheme, not go as aggressive with Justin Herbert in the first game and kind of just uh, play the field a little bit before, you know, as he gets comfortable with the season opener. Let's move on. Packers, Bears, uh Aaron Rodgers is gone from uh, Green Bay, but yet the Bears still struggle with the Packers. Uh, That was my biggest takeaway from this game. Love completed 15 of 27 of his passes for 245 yards and three TDs. No turnovers. Um, Is just, is, uh, excuse me, Jordan, I think when I said Justin Love, is Jordan Love the new deal in Green Bay? And are Bears ever going to be able to beat the Packers, even with Aaron Rodgers out (laughs) at Green Bay? If you would have said coming into the game the Packers had only rushed for 92 yards on 32 carries, you would have thought they would be in trouble, but they weren't because Jordan Love was very efficient, 245 yards, three touchdowns. Aaron Jones, the biggest play he made was actually a reception in the third quarter, I think on the opening drive, which ultimately led them to kind of open up the game. It was kind of a defensive game in the first half, and then the Packers' defense started to go to work. Quay Walker had a big pick six. Uh, They confused the heck out of Justin Fields. And the Packers, I think people forgot how good this roster still is. Aaron Rodgers isn't there but it's still a very good roster from the ground game to the defense. And it's kind of crazy. You know, their wide receiver group is Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs had two touchdown catches, but this isn't exactly a star-studded receiver group. And yet Jordan Love made it work. I'm not going to overreact too much because it's only week one, but certainly a great start for him. And if he can continue to do this, the Packers' ceiling is a little bit lower without Aaron Rodgers, but this team can still compete for a division title. And the Bears, they're never going to beat the Packers. Okay, but just call it what it is. If the Bears can't beat them now, when are they going to do it? Yeah, the Bear, they lost at home too. So I mean, it's just it's kind of amazing. It really is. Uh, yeah, like you said, Aaron Jones had a good game. 127 yards, two touchdowns. Like you already said, Zach, 13 catches. 
Uh, Romeo, wait, yeah. Yeah, Romeo Dobbs, uh, excuse me, Romeo Dobbs had two touchdowns. Aaron Jones had one, but Aaron Jones also had 127 yards. Excuse me. Like you said, Zach, not really a big uh, wide receiver room for the Packers. Uh, Christian Watson is out um, out for the Packers right now. Not, you know, not with the Packers right now, obviously. Um, Jordan Love really just doesn't have as much help as even Aaron Rodgers did when he was there. And he's still got to win uh, in Chicago, so Great for them, and uh, we'll see what the Packers can do. Like you said, Zach, maybe you can become division titles uh, at the end of the season. Dallas and Giants. Um, not much to say about this game, except it was just a bloodbath. Um, rainy bloodbath at that. Uh, what do you guys have to really say about this game, except just that, just the fact that Giants just got absolutely manhandled and... Uh, Dallas, I don't know if this means Dallas is good. I don't know if this just means Giants are bad. It's kind of the same scenario we had with the 49ers and Steelers. What do you uh, what do you guys thinking with this game overall before we get a little bit more in depth? Sometimes you just have one of those days, and it happened on both sides. The, pack, the Cowboys, excuse me, a kick, block kick return touchdown, a fumble return touchdown, and they did that in the first quarter. So their first two touchdowns were non-offensive. Tony Pollard had a big day running the ball. Dak Prescott only threw for 143 yards because he didn't have to throw because they had a big lead. Plus, it was downpouring, so it wasn't going to be much of a downfield passing attack as it is. I think this is going to be the game that everybody overreacts to the most, both good and bad. Everybody's going to say the Cowboys are Super Bowl favorites, and everybody's going to think the Giants stink. And I don't know if either one of those is necessarily true. I think Dallas is closer to being Super Bowl contenders than the Giants are to being bad. But, yeah, this was not a good look for the Giants. Poor start for them. A lot of questions they got to answer going forward. And my big question is, why in the world was Brian Dable keeping Daniel Jones out there in the fourth quarter? The game was long over with. The offensive line stunk. That's the biggest takeaway I have out of this game. The Giants' offensive line was bad. Brian Dable has to pull the plug on Daniel Jones just because you need him for 17 games. What if he gets hurt in the middle of a 40 nothing game in a rainstorm with a bad offensive line? There would have been a lot more boo-birds than there were just during the game last night. It Short of that, it really could not have gone any worse for the Giants. Yeah, no. Daniel Jones sacked seven times. QB rating of only 32.4 uh, with only 104 yards, 15 for 28. Uh, yeah, Cowboys beat the Giants for the fifth straight time in 12th in 13 meetings. Uh, furthermore, uh, this was the Cowboys' biggest win against the Giants in history of their uh, meetings. Uh, it's bigger than the 35-0 victory in 1995, and it's also the Cowboys' biggest shutout victory in any game in their franchise history. Uh, this is beating their 38-0 victory over Baltimore Baltimore Colts back in 1978. So, uh, yeah, couldn't have been more of a blowout, uh, both historically speaking and uh, just eye test as well. And I agree, Zach. I'm not going to make too much of a notice about this. It's the first game of the season, and it's also was a you know just a piss poor game, raining constantly. Uh, ironically, the team that plays inside actually handled the weather better than the team that plays outside. But yeah, I'm not taking too much away from this yet. And we'll, we'll kind of see how the giants are able to bounce back. And if the Cowboys are able to keep this up going forward, uh, other games going on, uh, breeze by these a little bit faster, but Ram Seahawks, uh, my biggest takeaway, uh, Puka Nakua, Puka Nakua rookie 10 catches, 119 yards. Great game for him. 
Uh, Tattoo Atwell, also good game. Uh, third year in the league, finally coming into his form as uh, as a catcher. Uh, six catches. Uh, so he, I think, 117 yards is what he had uh, for the Rams as well. Rams won nine of the last 13 meetings against Seattle. And um, yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on this game? I mean, Seattle only had 12 yards of offense and uh, one first down in the whole second half of the game. <laughs> so just an absolute domination. A bit. I mean, I think this is the game that makes people want to pump the brakes a little bit on the Seattle momentum that they accumulate during the offseason. I say they'll be fine. But I think the Rams are better than people thought. Remember last year, yes, they had one of the worst title defenses ever, but there were a ton of injuries. Obviously, Matthew Stafford chief among them. In fact, they were able to win this game without Cooper Cup. Very impressive. Cam Akers and Kyron Williams had a big day. And so I think the Rams are going to be pesky. They're not good enough to win that division, but they're going to be better than they were a year ago. And they're probably going to be maybe a team that has a chance at the end of the year to be a wild card contender. But yeah, winning by on the road by 17 against Seattle, not something you see very often. Yeah, no, it's uh, not at all. Raiders Broncos uh, Broncos continue to struggle since last year. Uh, not only was it a loss, but can continue to find tr- trouble gaining, you know, getting points on the board. This is the seventh straight win the Raiders had against the Broncos. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Played decently well. Um, you know, I, what are you guys' thoughts on I, I don't really have much on this game other than then, you know, it was just another pretty poor showing by the Broncos, especially their offense, and uh, Raiders were able to squeak out a win. Any, anything else you guys really want to uh, put on here besides, besides that? <laughs> yeah, how about the second straight year that the Broncos lose their opener by the exact same score, 17-16, because they lost to the Seahawks. Wait that exact score a year ago. Jimmy Garoppolo, 200 yards, two touchdowns. That's what they need him to do. And they really were able to win this game despite Josh Jacobs not doing much of anything. Only 48 yards rushing. Jacoby Myers had two touchdown catches. Devontae Adams took a lot of attention away uh, from the the defense. So they all were singling up Jacoby Myers. Jimmy Garoppolo took advantage of it. And Russell Wilson actually looked decent yesterday. 177 yards, two touchdowns, but still a little bit indecisive with the ball. He and Sean Payton don't appear to be on the same page right now. And another low-scoring Broncos loss. And they have to get this thing turned around quick, or Russell Wilson might be looking somewhere else next year. I mean, definitely. We need maybe a little bit more games. Maybe like week three, four, if they still you know, have struggles. Uh, I think next week will be a really big test, though. It's um, Commanders coming to town, coming to Colorado. Uh, Commanders, uh, I think it'll be a pretty good game. I it's definitely a must win for the Broncos. I don't think they can really go zero and two and expect to really compete for any kind of division title, let alone even a playoff title. I know it's still really, really early in the season, but that momentum alone, especially with Russell Wilson kind of playing the way he is and the fans turning on the team the way they are, especially after last season, it really is kind of a must win from a momentum and a, an emotional standpoint. Uh, they are favorites against Washington. Uh, they are at home. I know Denver is at home next week. Uh, three and a half point uh, favorites against the Commanders. You know, we all hear it's it's super hot in Colorado in this in, you know this time of the year. Also, the altitude always seems to be an issue for teams that go up there as well. But yeah, um, I, in my opinion, I know it's still early. Early, like I said, but must win for uh, for for the Broncos next week against the Commanders. Texas Ravens. 
Obviously, biggest storyline out of this game, J.K. Dobbins out for the rest of a se- of the season with a torn Achilles. Um, I, that's going to be a huge, huge, obviously, um, tear for the for the uh, for lack of better words for the for the Ravens. Um, he played really good in the game until he was you know until he was out. I mean, he left the game pretty early in the third quarter, but had a pretty good overall first half. What uh? What do you guys? What Zach? Like, what do you think they do with uh, J.K. Dobbins out? I mean, how how much does this really hurt them? And I, you know, especially with uh, their new contract that they, they just gave Lamar Jackson, the wide receivers that they signed in the offseason. What I mean, where do the Ravens go from here? Do you think they're going to be okay, or do you think it's just going to be a massive hit to them? Oh, it's a big loss because now you're probably going to have to rely more on Lamar to run the ball. And obviously, we've seen the last couple of years when Lamar's had to run the ball more, he tends to get injured, and so. It seems like more is going to be put on his plate because I don't think you trust Gus Edwards to be a number one guy. Justice Hill's fine, but not a guy that's going to be able to replace J.K. Dobbins. This is a big loss for them, and this is just kind of a sloppy game in general. Lamar had no touchdown passes and had an interception, just kind of a conservative kind of game plan if working against a uh, rookie quarterback. I think the Ravens are that, – that's the thing. We like the Ravens. We think they're a contender, but they're always an injury or two away, and they always seem to be the most injured team in football – year in and year out, and it only takes week one for their starting running back to go down. That's going to be a big long-term problem for them. Cardinals, Commanders. Um, only thing I have from this game is Washington uh, won this game, obviously, despite turning the ball over three times in the first half. Uh, I think they were down 16-10 to 10 going into the third, maybe even third quarter, if not at least second half it was, but uh, testament to the commander's defense is really all I, I have for that. I mean, if you turn the ball over three times and you can still uh, come away with the win, that's um, that's an amazing accomplishment for the for the defense. We'll get to it, but uh, Kirk Cousins also turned the ball over three times uh, in the Vikings-Buccaneers game. Like I said, we'll get that in a second. Vikings obviously lost that game, but commanders were able to come away with the win despite that opener and yeah, that's just that's my biggest takeaway, and uh, I, you know, I think Sam Howell played decently well. Obviously, good enough to get the team a win. And uh, yeah, um, what do you got? What else do you guys have for this game? Anything else you guys want to really throw into this? I don't think there's much to take out of this. Card- the Cardinals are going to be picking first probably in the draft. They're not very good. The Commanders and Sam Howell getting his second career start. It's kind of the performance you'd expect out of them, and they were able to get the win because their defense showed up in the fourth quarter. Sam Howell made enough plays when he needed to, and it's just kind of a sloppy game that Washington was able to win, which they haven't been able to do in the past. So I give them credit for that, but you know they're going to obviously need a lot more offensive production if they're going to compete in that division. Game ball given to Harris, the the owner that obviously just bought the team uh, at the end of the game. So fans love that. I love seeing it, and I'm not even a Commanders fan, but I think the whole the whole football community, everyone that loves football, loves seeing uh, the change of ownership uh, to the Harris Group in Washington. Last game, already alluded to it, Vikings, Bucks. Uh, like I already said, Cousins turned the ball over three times in the first half. Um, is the Vikings' close game luck over? Obviously, they had an eleven game, uh, eleven games last year where they won by I think under one score. I think is what it was. Yeah, this game obviously was uh, was not that. That's my question for you guys: is there is there um, is there close game magic, uh, close game luck here coming to coming to an end for the Vikings this year? Yeah, I think the, it's just week one. I'm not going to jump off the Viking bandwagon. I think 
those close losses or those close wins last year might some of them might turn into close losses. I think usually the law of averages tend to even itself out the next year. So I don't think the Vikings are winning 13 games. But my unpopular opinion has always been Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than people think. Seeing what he did in Cleveland, he turned around a team that didn't win a game before he got there, and they won a playoff game in three years. I think people act like Baker Mayfield's the worst quarterback in football, and he's not. And he showed it yesterday, threw for over 200, uh, almost 200 yards, two touchdown passes, but he was in control throughout the majority of that game. And Tampa, they're not going to be very good because the talent around them isn't all that great, but people saying they're going to pick be the, have the number one pick in the draft, I don't think that's accurate either. That's a big win for them. Mayfield had a really bad first half, though. Uh, three for 11 with only 12 yards uh, prior to the uh, two-minute mark in the first half. So not a really good start. I do want to talk about Texas and Alabama. Uh, called it. Called, yeah, you did call it. Yeah, you, yeah. I, mean, I, I, think it's a lot, I mean, I don't think it's a huge surprise. I think we all know Alabama is on kind of its, you know, it's not as good as it used to be. They're definitely on the decline over the last, at least, you know, last year, maybe not two years, but at least last year they're, they're on the decline. Um, first double-digit home loss for Alabama under Nick Saban, though. Yeah, not really only a... the second non-conference loss ever for Nick Saban, 51-2, and two, the first uh, since Louisiana Monroe in 07. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, but yeah, that's uh, definitely not a good loss for Nick Saban. Still, I mean, Texas, not a bad team, and I want to get your kind of thoughts on Texas after this game. I think I don't, what are they, I mean, I actually haven't looked yet. What are they, they're fourth now. So they are, you know, if the season ended today, which of course it's not, would be in the playoffs. Um, what else do you guys have from this game as, you know, as far as your takeaways uh, from this game? Well, anything else you really want to point out? I mean. This is the Quinn Ewers game, 349 yards, mm-hmm. three touchdowns, had a couple great deep balls to Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell. A.D. Mitchell coming in from, coming over from Georgia, two touchdown catches. Uh, in the fourth quarter to ultimately help Texas pull away in this game. This is a game they dominate. If you watch the game from start to finish, Texas defensive line absolutely mauled Alabama's offensive line. They were all over Jalen Milrow throughout the entirety of the game. And really a couple Texas mistakes kept this game close until the fourth quarter. And when Alabama took the lead late in the third, that's typically a moment that in the Nick Saban era, that's when Alabama uh, never lets go of the lead and they just never looked back and texas went right down the field boom 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 four plays touchdown took the lead uh interception went back up 11 even when alabama responded again another deep ball touchdown texas took alabama's best shots they committed only four penalties alabama committed 10 they didn't turn the ball over alabama turned the ball over twice this was not a fluke texas is the better team they had the better quarterback better offensive line better receiver core Texas won this game because they were the better football team. And Alabama, I don't think they're done losing games this year. Their quarterback did not look great. Jalen Milrow, too inexperienced. I think Alabama's closer to a three-loss team than a team that has a chance to run the table the rest of the way. Texas isn't fully back, but they're really close. And now they've got a chance to make the playoffs because they're, they could even drop a game in the Big 12 as long as they don't lose two. That non-conference win over Alabama is going to hold significant weight the rest of the season. Big night for Texas. Their biggest win since, what, 08? Since when they beat Oklahoma? Like, it's been a very long time since Texas was this relevant on the national stage. But they were the better team. They earned it big time. Yeah, it's just in time for Texas to leave the Big 12, too. Uh, this will after, be a conference you know, game them next, starting next year. It will be. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, and you mentioned how good of a win this was, Zach. I, I just have some points jotted down here. Uh, Texas' first win against a team ranked in the AP Top 5 since 2010. 
when they did it against Nebraska. Uh, this is Steve Sarkeesian's first win as a head coach against a team ranked in the AP top five since he beat Washington, or since he was at Washington and they beat USC in 2009. Nick Saban's worst college home loss since 2003 when LSU uh, lost to Florida. Um, yeah, uh, Jalen Milrose, definitely the uh, worser quarterback than Quinn Ewers. Already kind of said it last week, but this game was massive for Quinn Ewers. Uh, his draft stock is now way up. He's going to be competing with, you know, Drake May, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. He's going to, he's definitely going to be up there in the conversation for, you know, uh, you know, for draft stock, you know, being one of the top drafted QBs. Uh, and we already know next draft is already a very heavy QB um, draft. So, yeah, great for great for Texas. And my only other question, though, from this game, and you kind of already said it, Zach, is this is going to have a lot of weight come the playoff time when they're selecting the you know the top four teams to go on to the playoffs. I know a lot of the, what we hear a lot though at that time is yeah. how early games have less weight than later games because obviously a lot of things change as the season goes on, not only for the team but the, for the teams that they're going to play against as well. Do you think that might be something that could hold Texas back? Say they would lose one game, but one conference game in the Big Twelve. Do you don't think they're going to say, "Hey, too early"? No, no. If if you're a twelve and one Big Twelve champ and you beat Alabama at Alabama, doesn't matter if you did it in September, doesn't matter if you did it in November. That's going to hold a lot of weight. People respect Alabama more than any program in the country, maybe with the exception of Georgia. So. It doesn't matter that it happened in September. Texas goes twelve and one and wins Big Twelve. One hundred percent, they're going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just I have heard that. Um, I that you hear that every single year when they you know when they have the, all these college playoff shows and you know the whole committee gets together and they discuss all the teams that are going to be making the playoffs and all that. You know all the coverage that they have. You know, uh, it's just you always hear that kind of the, that argument about how a team that won maybe earlier in the year, you know, they still the same team that they were. Uh, you know, going into the that they are going to the playoffs, but yeah, I agree. Good, good for Texas, and uh, I I also agree, Zach, that they could probably even have a loss in the conference. Uh, you know, in the yeah, Big Twelve this year no and much. still have a chance. Uh, yep. Moving on, football, uh, basketball, real fast. Uh, USA does not medal at FIBA. <laughs> um, can it, uh, lost to Canada in the bronze match. Uh, Dylan Brooks put up thirty nine points and in. Like I said, USA did lose to Canada in an overtime loss. This is the second consecutive time in FIBA that the USA failed to medal. Uh, it's only the seventh time in 38 appearances at the Olympics or World Cup level that an American team did not emerge with a medal in basketball. Really bad showing for the Team USA. Obviously, no, the biggest stars were not playing. But just overall, what are your uh, knee-jerk reactions Uh from from this uh this past weekend in FIBA not really much to say there I mean America just didn't send the best players and they paid the price for it that's about about all you can really say like I know America hasn't always valued the FIBA world championships anywhere near like they do the Olympics but I mean that's kind of an embarrassing showing for Team USA let's just call it for what it is yeah they defense was really bad for Team USA um allowed set uh, average allowed an average of 117 points uh, per game. They lost three of their last four games in the tournament. Um, yeah, just just an overall really bad showing against the Americans. And 
just historically speaking, also when you take into that consideration, just very, very poor. Um, last bit to talk about U.S. Open finals. Um, Coco Golf won the American Women's, and Novak Djokovic uh, wins his 24th Grand Slam title. Coco Golf being, of course, her first. Um, yeah. All I really have is Novak Djokovic, 24th Grand Slam, honored Kobe Bryant after his win. Um, Coco Golf, like I said, probably the biggest, um, one of the biggest names in women's tennis coming up now, if not the biggest name right now. Um, what, what do you guys think? Does this end the debate about who the greatest is right now in tennis? Or is there this Djokovic still to kind of prove some more before we can crown him? Yeah. No, debate's over. Debate was over. Debate ended when he won the French and won, set the major record. And he's a three-time grand has won the Grand Slam three times over because he's won the French Open three times. Debate is long over. Twenty-four majors, and he did this in the Roger Federer era, the Rafael Nadal era, and he's still doing it now. Like the, it's one of the great longevity runs that any athlete has ever had in the history of sports. He's one of the most mentally tough athletes we've ever seen in the history of sports. Novak Djokovic is the goat. There is no debate. If he didn't play with Federer and Nadal, yeah, he might he, have won 40 minutes. Uh, Daniel Medvedev in straight sets on Sunday afternoon. Um, I agree. Just and He's still playing, too. And that's kind of a, a point that I made multiple times on this show is, uh, yeah, like everything you just said, Zach. And then, of course, he still has potential to win even more as he uh, continues on here. And he's still got a couple years left yeah, to go. Definitely. Yeah, he's not mm-hmm. done. He's got to set the record so far beyond what anybody can possibly hope to reach. Okay, guys. New Week's resolutions. Uh, Zach, who is your New Week's resolution? My New Week's resolution is to NFL media and to NFL fans. Please do not overreact, good or bad, to anything that happened in Week 1. Last year, Dak Prescott gets hurt. They lose badly to the Bucks. I thought the Cowboys season was over. Turns out it was not. Cooper Rush did just fine. They made the playoffs. The Chicago Bears beat the 49ers week one last year, 19 to 10. People thought the Bears were going to be good, and the Niners were a bit questionable with Trey Lance. Well, guess what happened? Trey Lance gets hurt the next week. 49ers go to the NFC Championship game. Bears weren't very good. So if you're the Gi- a Giants fan, for instance, yeah, you got skunked by the Cowboys. Don't overreact too much to it. It was a bad night. That stuff happens. If you're a Cowboys fan, don't start preparing your Super Bowl tickets just yet. Let the season play out. Let's give it a couple weeks. It usually takes until about week six until we truly know who's good, who's not good. Don't overreact too much to week one. My new week's resolution is uh, going back to Alabama. Alabama is going to need to find a new quarterback uh, going forward. Competition only going to get harder in the SEC once conference play does begin. Um, We already kind of mentioned it, but Jalen Milrose on Saturday night, uh, really bad start. At least to start, he played decently well. Ended up having a decent stat line: two fifty-five, uh, fourteen for twenty, two hundred fifty-five yards. Excuse me, fourteen for twenty-seven passing, but did have two interceptions. And like I did, it, like I said, did have a really slow start to the game as well. Um, Alabama was really hesitant at the start of the season to give Jalen Milrow the, the, you know, the start. Uh, yeah, I, it's just they're going to have to try the new uh, other quarterbacks that they have in their lineup and uh, just see how they kind of mesh with uh, with play, especially before conference play does begin. Because, like I said, competition's only going to get worse once the it, you know SEC does start. And I don't think Jalen Milrose is going to get it done for Alabama, uh, especially in the hardest conference in um, in in college football.
All right, guys, let's finish up with our intakes and outtakes of the week. My intake of the week is another power program that a lot of people think might be getting close to being back, and that is the Miami Hurricanes. They go out and beat Texas A&M 48-33. The fan showing wasn't very good, but the team showing certainly was. Tyler Van Dyke looked like his old self before last season. The play he played a couple years ago. Miami to score 48 points in a game last year that ended 17-9. This time it ends 48-33. It's the first time that we've seen Miami really win a big non-conference game, probably since Notre Dame back in 2017. And Jimbo Fisher, again, showing himself as an overrated fraud. The Aggies are going to continue to slip. And the only reason he's probably going to stay employed is because buyout right now is $86 million. That's a whole lot of reasons to not fire a guy, but if his buyout were reasonable, Jimbo Fisher should not be the head coach of Texas A&M. But more credit to the Miami Hurricanes, Mario Cristobal year two. I think if anybody can turn that program around, it's him. Big win for Miami. My intake of the week is LeBron uh, buying into American basketball. Uh, rumors are going around that LeBron is actually trying to, you know, lead lead step like people like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, other major stars in the NBA. He's trying to really persuade them to consider playing in the 2024 Olympics. Uh, obviously, we just saw in the FIBA championships the main the big stars didn't really play. Uh, we all kind of see how that outcome turned out with them not playing. Uh, America, of course, not even meddling in FIBA. Yeah, it's just overall great to see uh, players caring about basketball on the international stage and you know representing America on the international stage, uh, especially you know like I said again considering how this past week in FIBA just turned out with America coming home without even a single medal um, for two consecutive years, actually, uh, in a row. So, yeah, that's my intake of the week, LeBron, buying into American basketball. Zach, who's your intake of the week? Yeah, so the NBA is likely to pass tougher rules on resting stars, so you can't rest two stars on the same night. Like the Clippers, for instance, can't rest both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the same night. I think this is a good rule for the NBA because – this, does, this hurts the fans when the top players aren't playing. You want to watch competitive basketball. You don't want to watch a bunch of G-leaguers go out there and disguise as professionals. And I think one of the biggest problems with the NBA regular season has been the lack of interest because if the players aren't that interested in playing, why should the fans be interested in watching? I think it's actually a good move for the NBA to finally wise up on this. And now having more player access, having more opportunities for fans to see – uh, the top guys, I think that's a good thing for them. And now the new rules that mandate players to p- participate in 65 regular season games to be eligible for postseason awards. 65 out of 82 is not an extraordinarily high number. So I think kudos to Adam Silver. Give him some credit for some of these moves that have been uh, made over the last year or so. But finally, the NBA has started to wise up a bit. My outtake of the week, Michigan State's decision to suspend Mel Tucker and not fire him. Um there's some serious sexual allegations coming out against him. Uh, and this is also coming by the same university that is haunted by the actions of Larry Nasser. Yeah. MSU should do the right thing and just fire, uh, fire him, not just suspend him. Like I said, now Tucker serious allegations coming out um, from uh, with him, uh, Michigan state, as I just said already, like uh, Larry Nasser obviously has the history with that school as well and what he did with the uh, gymnastics squad there. So not not a good look for Michigan State. Uh, okay, good show, guys. Uh, 
Wednesday, we'll have on Valerie Preakter from uh, WBAL in Baltimore. We're going to talk about uh, the Orioles in their playoff push. Uh, most importantly, uh, the Ravens and uh, loss of uh, Dobbins. Uh, so that's a big, big show coming up. Great interview with her. A uh, lot to talk about in Baltimore sports right now, like I said, especially with the Ravens coming off their win. But the unfortunate uh, news that they did suffer in that win. And then the Orioles, of course, being one of the most exciting teams in baseball right now. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see you all again on Wednesday. But until then, just keep on traveling.